this morning. And I hope that the early morning loss of an hour of sleep didn't affect that decision of some. But I'm glad to see you here this morning. Uh, 4.15 came pretty early at my house in Billings this morning. and uh, But it was a beautiful drive down. Uh, and uh, thankful to be here. If you do not know me, uh, Tish is our daughter. She's number one. Um, and uh, so in spite of what you know about her, um, get to know her mother. I've, uh, as I pulled, pulled into the valley this morning and went by, went by the Adventist community out in Bear Canyon area, I told my wife, this brings me back to a childhood. Because in 1953, when we moved to Montana, when I was a boy of seven, we located out there at a home uh, along the interstate highway now, and uh, I went to that little Bear Valley school. Uh, And the years that we lived here and the years that my dad preached for the Bozeman Church, uh, I lived on Denny Noyes' dad and mother's farm for three summers. So this valley has a lot of meaning to me, uh, uh, and it has changed. The days when we lived on Jackrabbit Lane, when it was a lonely little two-lane road, has changed a lot. And this valley has changed immensely. Uh, I'm glad to be here this morning. I always look forward to an opportunity to speaking again. Uh, whether it's at Belgrade or wherever, a couple of weeks ago I was filling in up at Lewistown for Russell Epperson and, and glad for those opportunities. So this morning I want to talk to us about something that's great. Uh, and is there an on switch for this there? There we go. How about that? There it went. There it is. Who's this character? Tony the Tiger, and what's he known for saying? We're going to find out if these are there. It is. Yeah, they're great, aren't they? We grew up. You ever think about the? You ever think about that word "great"? I think this one. I want us to spend some time talking about what makes greatness. What is great? For sure. Uh, when I took this photograph of number six. The famous bull elk up in Mammoth several years ago. I no doubt thought when I saw him herding his herd of cows that he had gathered in the Gardner River and was pushing. And I took that and I looked at that photograph on my on my on my digital camera and I'm going, man, this is great. And there was probably few other elk any greater than the old famous number six. And later that day, he made a scene at the back of my camper, and I took this picture from the back end of my picture window on the back of my fifth wheel, and I thought, man, this is great. You know, and, and to see such an animal of such dignity, and, 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 and then there's some people like Don Rogers who would shoot him uh, and eat him. Uh, but there are some things that are just so magnificent. We, we run out of words. We run out of superlatives to think about some of the things. But one of the things in my mind that really is great, and one thing that Chris asked me to mention, is the fact that Yellowstone Bible Camp is about 
60 miles from here, and it is a great place, and it has been for 66 years. Uh, what a blessing it's been to, to the Brotherhood of, of Churches in Montana, but really all over the country. Since I, since I retired from the pulpit in Billings uh, and being the director out at, at Yellowstone Bible Camp, I get to see so many wonderful, wonderful, healthy Christian families from all across our country and Canada as well, especially now that COVID's over. I'm looking forward to the Canadians coming back, aren't we, Richard? Uh, we, we missed some of them last year, although the demand for Yellowstone Bible Camp this year seems to be stronger than ever. We have a waiting list of 100 to get into one of the camps. Can you imagine? There's so many people that want to come to camp. Although we do have some room and an early family camp and in family camp one, and I see up there, I think I, uh, I've incorporated two camps together in that list up there. There's lots of opportunities for you to be at Yellowstone Bible Camp, even though some of those camps are full. Golden Age and family camps two, family camp three, they're, they're, they're registered up for the year. But uh, there are opportunities at some of the retreats. And if you do not know something about Yellowstone Bible Camp, you need to know. You need to get involved in it in whatever way. If you're a member of the body of Christ in Montana, you own a piece of that facility. It's owned by the Churches of Christ in Montana. But I'll tell you what, the Texans and the Oklahomans and the Tennesseans and the Arkansas and the Okies, they've discovered it. And how good a deal it is to spend a week at Yellowstone Bible Camp where you get 20 meals and stay in a log cabin for less than 200 bucks for a week. Try to find a motel room in Bozeman for 200 bucks, let alone the meals and get 20 of them for a week. So if you're not familiar with Yellowstone Bible Camp, check it out. There's the ladies' retreats, the college retreats, the Labor Day retreat. Work camp is free. But it also reminds me of the scripture that says, he that's not willing to work, you know the rest of it, don't you? Neither let him eat. So come to work camp. It's a fun time. And I was, uh, several years ago, I know Chris, Chris and Sylvia were sitting down, I think it was on a Wednesday night. I'm going to tell the story the way I think I remember it. As Luke said to his, said to, to his dad, hey, we're going to work camp this weekend, aren't we? And Chris said, yes. And then Luke says, yeah, but we really know that work camp is more about fellowship than it is work. And I thought, you know, that's, that's a great observation. At that time, he was like 10 or 12 years old, realizing the value of Christians being together in a positive environment. And uh, I encourage you to be part of that, a part of that facility uh, that, that we've been blessed to own for so many years. Perhaps this word great is one of our most overused words in our vocabulary, like awesome or love. You know, people love their toothpaste or they love whatever. You know, we just we love so many things or everything is so great. And I find myself now being self-conscious about using the word great because I think sometimes it is just so used but there are things that are great, and it's okay to describe things as great. But this morning, I want us to go back and look at and put real meaning to what really constitutes something that's great. 
there's a lot of men and women who fit into Scripture that that would be considered great. And maybe you have your list, and we could spend the rest of our time this morning and talk about some of the great people in Scripture. But on that list probably would be people like Moses and Joshua and Caleb and Elijah and Elisha and Deborah and Peter and Paul, and the list could just go on and on and on, couldn't it? But I think it's also fun in my life for me to go back and reflect on people who are great in my lives. I, I appreciate so many good people that I've been blessed to know and to be around in, in, in my lifetime. Uh, I was very blessed to have a very fine, godly mother and father. Uh, my father was a, a great man when it came to his service to the Lord. Uh, he set a standard that was that was 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 so good and so so influential. But I thought about other people like my wife's grandfather, old Casey Thomas, or Kenneth Charles Thomas, who was a, a successful old wheat farmer in western Kansas who who helped buy York College back in 1956 and bought a house across the street from the campus and literally gave his fortune to getting York College up and going back in the 50s and 60s. And, uh, and when he died, the kids said, hey, he's given the college everything else. They might as well have his house, too. And his house that's there across the street from the campus is the hospitality house or the, or the guest house for those who come to campus. Uh, Casey was a wonderful man of God that I learned a lot from. I uh, so appreciated a, a godly man and his influence. And I think about other important people in my life, men like Ernest Petty, but, but there's also some women that come to mind that were just great people. And I don't know if anybody in here except my daughter and my wife knows the name Garolyn Beverly, but she was a lady who was a member of the church in, in Glendive, Montana, when I moved there back in 1969 to preach. There was two men and Garolyn and a few other people. Garolyn Beverly was one of the most godly, wise woman who never usurped her position that God gave her in this world. But she had so much respect that when she spoke, people listened. She now lives, she's widowed, she lives in Edmond, Oklahoma, but I so appreciate the wisdom of a godly woman uh, that, that, that I think was, had a great influence not only on me, but on a lot of other people. And I'm, I'm ahead of myself there. Let me back up now. Uh, you know, all of these people, though, they all have a common thread, whether it's my list or God's list within Scripture, was their faith in God that made them great. And when we start defining what greatness is, I hope that we can see greatness in the eyes of, of what it is in the eyes of God. And so as we try to put meaning to that word great, Jesus even called John the Baptist great. Listen to the, to the reading. He says, I tell you the truth, that among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. What an epitaph. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be uh, something to have Jesus say that about you? Wouldn't that be great to have Jesus say that about you? And here's Jesus testifying that there's no one greater of those born of women than John, than John the Baptist. But then he went on to say, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
Hang on to that thought. We're going to come back and hit it a little bit later. He that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. What the world considers great and what you and I, you know, what God considers great, there's a lot of difference. We define things and sometimes in just the appearance or the taste or the or, or whatever it is that, that may appeal to us in greatness. But to appreciate, to appreciate real greatness, let's look at some things. Job 36.26 says, How great is God beyond our understanding. Do you really understand God? Can we really ever say, I get it? We maybe have glimpses of it. We see things at times. I remember as a very young preacher, I went to visit a friend uh, who's now deceased that was preaching in Yankton, South Dakota. And uh, I was down there to hold a meeting back in the days when we held lots of so-called gospel meetings back in about 1970, 71. And uh, Jim took me out to, to, a, to a community outside of Yankton one afternoon and there was an old preacher that was supposedly the first preacher for the Churches of Christ in South Dakota that was there in a very humble little small house in this little community. And we were invited to lunch there. So we go to lunch there and we walk in and his wife says, oh, he's back in his study. And we go back to the little back of the house and what had been converted from a bedroom was his study. And there he was sitting at his desk with papers and books all spread around him. And Jim said, what are you doing? What what are you digging into? And he said, I'm 86 years old, and I'm still trying to grasp God's grace. I was like 24 years old. I was amazed. You lived all this time, you hadn't figured out God's grace yet? And the older I get the more I realize I don't know God, just how great he is. And that old man had come to that realization himself. And then Psalms 48, maybe. Psalms 48 once says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He deserves our praise. 17.7 says, Show the wonder of your great love, you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Do you realize that we can take refuge? We find a safe place in God? There's some people that's going through. We have brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now. You know that? And some of us know a man who's visited Montana several times, and some of us has supported him in some ways. He happens to be stateside right now visiting, but he's trying to get his wife and and child out out of Ukraine. I can't imagine what it'd be like to live in such a war torn area. But there's brothers and sisters in Christ, besides so many other innocent people that are victims of some horrible things. But you know what? There's refuge in Christ. That no matter what happens, it's okay. That if you're in Christ, then you're going to be, you may may suffer. 
In fact, Peter tells us that we will suffer some things. Timothy says, Paul says in Timothy, second Timothy, that, that all that live godly will know some tough times, some persecution. Those things are going to come, but we need to show, we need to know because of God's great love, we can have a refuge in him. I really like Psalms 5-7. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house in reverence, and I bow down toward your holy temple. I hope you came here this morning with the intent that you came here to praise. You came here to, because of God's mercy, his grace that he's given to you, that we are here to honor him. I have a pet peeve about people who say, well, I just don't get anything out of church. You know, my needs aren't getting met. And if you said that, shame on you. Repent. If you come to worship with the attitude that you are there to honor God and not please yourself, you change that perspective. We are here not to be amused or to appease ourselves. That's a byproduct of our fellowship and our encouragement of one another. But we're here to praise God and bring him honor because of what he has provided for us. And if you don't get something out of that, then you need to really spend some time in prayer and in study and in talking to somebody who can help you get through it. If you don't get anything out of church, it's probably because you didn't put anything in it. That you need to have yourself and your heart involved in it. When our children were little, Tisha could tell you that I had a rule. There'd be no conflict, no excitement, no issues, no hysteria. When you have three teenage girls at the same time, about a year, year and a half apart. (sighs) Sunday mornings and dad's trying to get his head wrapped around what he's going to teach and preach that morning. I didn't want anything to be disruptive. We wanted the, we wanted the, I wanted the house calm and gentle, and I wanted the ride to the church building to be calm and gentle. And so you picked out your dress the night before. You made sure it was clean and pressed and all that kind of stuff. No hysteria on the mornings. We usually would turn on, back then it was probably a cassette tape of some gospel quartet or a gospel group or, or spiritual songs to try to set the tone so we were ready to worship. So it became part of our, this is the Lord's Day, you know. Scripture calls Sunday the Lord's Day. You wouldn't know it by soccer and baseball and basketball and, and uh, skiing and, do, you know, all those other things that seemingly get in the way of people. Uh, yeah, put something into church if you want something out of it. Psalms 21, 21 says... Through the victories you gave, his glory is great. Go back and look through scripture and look at the victories that God provided to people. Undeserved victories. But you know, he's still given victories and he still gives it to us when we don't deserve it. And we need to recognize them. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the great deep. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great is our God. 
What God is as great as our God? For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Yeah, we need to hold him in reverence and in awe and in fear. Several times over the years, I've been given names or labels. I've been called a phobic about several things. I've been accused of being a homophobic when you teach what scriptures teaches. And I always reply to people, no, I'm a God-phobic. I fear God. Just as the psalmist says there, who knows the power of your anger. I do not want to know it. Do you? I see the evidence of it through Scripture. And while he's a loving God and a forgiving God, he's also a just God. And he's going to require justice. The day will come when he will separate the chaff from the grain. He's going to separate the good from the evil. And whether we're on the left side or the right side is a choice that we get to make while we live. The opportunity is ours. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Remember what Isaiah recorded? As the Lord said, Therefore I will give him, speaking of Jesus, a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore our sin for many, for the bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The prophecy of the coming of Jesus became so true as he would give his life for us. And then you go to Philippians, the second chapter, where it says, Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. Did you know what? There will be a day when every tongue that ever existed will confess the name of Jesus. But for some it will be too late. I don't want any of us to be part of that crowd. We need to confess his name now. We need to be honoring his name now. And while I'm on that soapbox, let me say this. I get upset listening to TV, listening to radio, even listening to commercials where people use God's name in vain. And one of the slogans that you hear even in the grocery store sometimes of little kids is they see something that amazes them and they'll say, Oh my God, oh man, who do, do, they do not know what they're saying. And if that OMG expressions in your language or on your tweets or whatever, get rid of it. And if you cry out, oh my God, you better mean it. You better be talking to God. 
and not as an expression of amazement, but he's due all of our honor and all of our glory. He is great. There's no thing like him. And hopefully the reason we're here this morning is because is because God gave him a portion among that greatness to become the greatest name in heaven and earth, Jesus Christ. Remember what John 14:6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus was speaking. He's worthy of that honor. In John, the third chapter, John replied, A man can receive only what was given him from heaven. John the Baptist we're talking about. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but I sent he I, I was uh, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. Listen to what he said then. John says, he, speaking of Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. John had a loyal following of disciples. He did his job. But John knew what his limits were. That he knew Jesus was greater than him. And he was preparing people for the coming of the Messiah. But there were those who followed John who would have made him Messiah. And let me tell you something. There are some persuasive people in our society and always has been. And in the religious world around us that are charlatans that would like to claim that power in the name of Jesus. There's no name like Jesus. There's no man that's worthy of that. You know, contrary to contrary to human nature, Jesus says we need to learn to be that we need to be learned to be servants. The disciples, those twelve men were having arguments. They did that a couple of times, I think, about which one of them is the greatest. And they weren't chiding about it. I have an honorary cousin, a retired preacher outside of Nashville, who has a sense of humor like Bob Newhart's and looks like him, or did. Uh, when he first out of college, he preached. He worked with Clinton Brazel in Anaconda and Butte and built that building back in the 50s. Kent Hall is his name. But I remember being at a memorial service with him, standing out at a gravesite. And everybody was sober and serious. And that honorary man leaned over to me and says, I wonder which one of us is the most humble. Do you ever be around somebody like that that can just bust your gut in the most inappropriate place? Well, he's also a, a wonderful man of God. Uh, but, but sometimes people do try to elevate themselves. And he was being sarcastic and cynical and honorary. But sometimes I think we place ourselves too high in our own thinking. And we're warned about not thinking too much of ourselves, aren't we? 
Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, whoever loves this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you, he is the greatest. There's some little grandkids back here of some people. Those little kids are greater than anybody in here. You know what? According to Jesus' standards. Look at all these kids. They're precious. So Jesus brings a child up. And what does he say on another occasion? For such is the kingdom of God. We really aren't very much, are we? You know, when it comes down to really sorting out what's great, the innocence of a child is great. So how can least be great? We need to learn to be servants to others. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. It's fun to watch people who are servants and slaves to all. It's fun to watch it at camp in the summertime. Those people who, even though it's not their turn to be on KP, they're still up doing things without being assigned to do it. And in sarcasm, sometimes I ask somebody, who told them they could do that? You know, when they just see something that needs to be done and go do something good. Isn't it fun to catch people doing good? I loved that when I was in ministry. And I go someplace, I go to make a hospital visit, and I already found out that six or eight other people have already been there, or find people there. They weren't assigned to do that. They did it because they were servants, because they loved, because they cared. That they didn't mind doing the dishes or vacuuming the floors after a potluck dinner or whatever it took to clean it up. And I know some of you are those kinds of people in here this morning. Only great servants are going to be honored. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Do you know people who, I remember as a boy, people telling, telling my dad when they were given the opportunity to serve in some capacity, well, I've done my share, let somebody else do it. And my dad used to stick his Bible up in their face and says, here, show me where their share is in here. You serve as long as you can, and you do whatever you can as the opportunity brings it to it. It's not time for somebody else to do their share. There may be somebody who, do, who can do things better than you or me. But if that opportunity is given to you, then do it. Do it to the best of your ability. Don't wait for somebody to come along that may have a greater talent than you and do it. You fulfill the need while you're there and get her done. So, 
He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. I said we were going to revisit this. But you see, if you're going to be greater, you need to be part of the kingdom. That means every person that's in the body of Christ, every person that's, that's given their heart and soul to be obedient and to serve the Lord is greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing? But you need to be part of his kingdom. And so you need to ask yourself the question if you're ready for that kind of goodness, for that kind of greatness, that if you want to be greater than John, then coming to that, you need to come with the term to recognize the fact that you have great sin in your life. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 tells us. That we need to realize, too, that we need a Savior. Great is my need for a Savior. Jesus is that Savior but also as great as the opportunity to be saved. And that, and that opportunity is ours. There was a time when I was a kid when people didn't ever want to use that expression. Oh, I can't say I'm saved. But you go over and read First John for a while, and it says you can be. You can have assurance that you're going to be saved for eternity, that we can be faithful to the end. So if you're here this morning... And you recognize your sin that you've not been, it's not been atoned for. Or if you're here this morning and not the part of the kingdom of God, why not? Why wouldn't we want to have a relationship with the great God that we serve? That's real greatness. And if you need help finding that greatness in your life, there's people in here that would be glad to help you find that greatness. Thank you.